There's a deceptive variant form of Christianity that has infiltrated much of evangelical church, of the evangelical church in America today. It emphasizes a mystical experiential relationship with God that does not require a pursuit of holiness by the believer. It may be, I think, a reaction to the fundamentalist movement of the 80s and 90s. The focus in the fundamentalist movement, if you look at the doctrine part of it, it was great, but some of their outworking was a disaster. The focus became on external legalism in the 80s and 90s, and it brought a backlash in our day of from many churches of what we would see as this uh, variant form of Christianity. We'll talk about this as we go along. The problem is uh, uh, there's been an overcorrection, and it came in the form of unrestrained use of one's liberties and no true reverence for God. This is how the enemy works, beloved. He pushes... Uh, one agenda and, and makes it really loud and people then react to it and their reaction is the opposite. It's like a pendulum. And people pendulum them one way and it's bad and you pendulum them all the way over, it's bad too. And the truth is in between. For example, he pushes legalism among one group in the church and this leads to a wrong view of salvation and the gospel. And it leads to people thinking that what they do saves them, which we all know is what? False. It's heresy, right? And it elevates their the false teachers of that. Anybody that promotes legalism, they always look good on the outside. They're cleaned up on the outside, but inside they're wicked and wretched and miserable. This then is contradicted by a group of people that stand up and say, no, the true gospel is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And so those people stand up and say, no, legalism is wrong. That's self-righteousness. And so there is a reaction that's good initially against legalism, and it's good. However, then the enemy begins to work in even that group of people that are speaking against it and that group overreacts to legalism of the previous group, and it emphasizes grace and faith in Christ. And those are good things, aren't they? To emphasize grace and faith in Christ is what we're all about. But they begin to espouse a Christianity that emphasizes liberty and grace at the expense of human responsibility and effort. The focus becomes a mystical, experiential religion that doesn't even seek or speak, rather, about sin or holiness or repentance. It focuses more on feelings and emotions and experiences. The followers of this form of religion are often tossed to and fro by their own emotions. Their lives are like a disaster. One moment they're at a conference where they're worshiping and everything's great. The next moment they're back at home after the conference is over and their life's miserable and the emotion of the moment is gone and guess what? They don't pursue holiness then. When the worship experience is good, they are good. 
But when their hearts aren't feeling it, they live a weak and dry religion. Do you understand what I'm getting at? This is the contradiction or the overreaction to legalism. Their mantra is this, I'll do it when I feel like it. I'll do it when I feel like it. When my heart's right, then I'll do it. It's a, it's close cousin is let go and let God. That's a close cousin of it. This is the enemy's deception, beloved. He pits the two extremes against one another in churches, and many end up picking sides even when they really don't want to pick sides, and they end up doing what? Becoming in the false teaching group or blown around by those two false teaching groups. Legalism, we all know, is what? Sin. It's horrible. The Pharisees did it, right? It's barbaric. It leads to self-righteousness and self-exaltation. But the extreme on the other side is wrong too. And that's antinomianism, which says what? There's no law. And we can do basically whatever our liberties say. We can do whatever we want, whenever we want. Actually, antinomianism, a form of it, is what Peter is confronting in, in 2 Peter. And also, John confronts it in 1 John. He addresses this heinous false teaching of, we can do whatever we want to do, and matter of fact, with our bodies, we can do whatever, because we are free. Let's sin, because after all, grace will abound, which Paul was saying was bad. <laughs> But they do it. There is a form of Christianity that stands for that today in America, and it is rise. It's on the rise. Beloved, the answer is faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. However, this faith is married to a resulting human effort. Uh-oh, I said a human effort. Yes, a human effort. As Martin Luther profoundly stated, quote, Salvation is by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Do you understand that? Doctrine that is truly understood influences how we live. Theology that is not applied is actually useless or even worse, destructive. The false teaching Peter was warning the people of in this letter had a form of religion, but it gave excuse for sin and produced unholy people. We'll see this in chapter 2 when we get into it, the, the false teaching itself. But Peter before that is saying, look, Christians, this is how you should look in light of this theology, this doctrine. This doctrine should cause you to be different. We must not fall into the trap, beloved, of antinomianism. No law, I can do whatever I want, I'm free. As James stated, faith without works is... Yeah. And as John states in 1 John, no one who is born of God practices sin because he, his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. What does this mean? It doesn't mean that we never sin but it means that we're not in bondage to sin anymore. We don't live a life of unrepentance. We are constantly turning to God and confessing sin and forsaking sin and seeking God's holiness to honor Him, pursuing holiness in our lives. 
This means born-again believers in God cannot live in unrestrained sin. Believers are given a new heart and a new desire. So obedience is their desire in their practice. They make war with sin daily, right? This is our life, isn't it? If you're a believer, that's you, I hope. Every day you're fighting sin, right? Not in other people as much as you are in your own hearts, right? We're killing it all the time. Now listen carefully. I'm not saying what we do as believers earns us a right standing with God. But if our faith is alone, we don't have a lot of hope that we're on the right path and that we're not trusting Christ alone. God does not accept us into heaven because of our worth or our faithfulness. That's a fact. Our righteousness comes from who? Christ. Christ alone. When we truly repent and believe in Christ, we are declared right with God. Justification. Everybody loves that doctrine, don't we? We love it. We're declared right with God by faith in Christ. This happens because God's great calling. Why did we... Why do we believe? Because God effectually called us and changed our hearts until we believe. We are now able to walk in obedience by the Spirit's work in our lives and our personal application of the gospel daily, hourly to our lives. We're able to obey. And everybody in the room says, Amen. Great, right? You didn't say amen. Aren't you happy you can walk in obedience? Thank you. Good. True knowledge of the gospel leads to a new life of pursuing holiness. We seek to obey Jesus, don't we? We love because we can and because he first loved us. We saw now, look back at your passage in verse 2. We saw this doctrine, these amazing truths that have profoundly affected our lives. We saw in verse 2 that God's unmerited favor and his peace are increasing through our intimate relationship, our true knowledge of God and Jesus. He pours out unmerited favor and peace in our lives as we pursue and know Him. And next we saw in verse 3, a profound verse, a verse we all should memorize, a verse that we should all have near and dear to our heart. Every believer in Jesus has been given everything necessary for life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him. God's power did this, and He accomplished it through our faith in Him. We also saw that God effectually called us, in verse 3, through the gospel, by His glory and excellence. God changed our hearts. How did He change our hearts? He changed our hearts when we saw the glory of Christ, right? We saw He's our hope. He's our joy. He's so beautiful. He took my sin, and so now I want to what? Live for Him. I trust in Him. I trust in Him alone. That's the effectual call. God works through that. He shows us His Son and we go, Yes, Christ, You are my Lord and Savior. We recognized our sin and we, in our need of a Savior and God showed us the glory of Jesus and we said, Yes, He's the one. He's ours. Next we saw in verse 4 that God has granted to Believers, precious and magnificent promises in Christ. Things like salvation, 
He promised to declare us right, that we are justified in Him through faith. And promises like the Spirit is living and abiding in us. We have God Himself abiding in our souls. Those are amazing promises, aren't they? Glorious truths. He's promised to preserve us all the way to glory. That what He started in us, He's going to complete. And all who are genuine believers, He's holding us. And we can't get away from Him. He's going to keep calling us back to Himself. And we're going to continue to repent and trust in Him. Because He's our hope. He's our joy. He's our life, right? Everybody, amen, yes? You're looking like at me a little dead today. Come on, these are great things. Great truths. Amazing truths, aren't they? It should make you want to go, yes, Lord, give me more, right? I want to hear more. Come on. This wonderful truth, this is the gospel. Jesus Christ died to save sinners like me and you. To give us new life, the eternal life that starts at being born again, right? We don't have to sin. Isn't that good news? We get to obey God. We get to participate in God's divine nature, His communicable attributes. That's what it says in verse 4. That's why we can produce what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. We can produce these. We can show these by the Spirit working through us. Good news, isn't it? You know, Peter is given in just two verses, verses 3 and 4, he's given a summary of the first 11 chapters in Romans. (laughs) That's what he did. In two verses, he explained all of Romans, summarized it into two verses. Romans up 1 to 11. But then we get to verse 5. And verse 5 is almost like the transition into Romans chapter 12 to 16. Okay, now let's apply it. Theology applied. How are you going to live now based on the fact that you have these promises? How are you going to live now based on the fact that you have been saved by grace? How are you going to live based on the fact of knowing the glory of Jesus? How are you going to live if you are participating in God's divine character? That's what we get in verse 5. Look. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Beloved, this passage really breaks down into a few simple three features. The command, the actions, and the reasons. Let's look at them real briefly. It won't take us long to get through this. I'm fairly sure I might even end early today. Yeah, right. The command. The command. If you look in verse 5, the command is given. It's right in the middle of verse 5. In your faith, one word, supply. Supply. If it's ESV or King James or ESV has supplement. King James, New King James has add to. 
supply. The idea, that's the, the command there. The Greek word literally means to provide for at one's own expense. To furnish or to supply. This is a command. It's an imperative. It tells us, give something or produce something. Step up and give or supply. Notice we are to give this in light of the previous text. In verse 5, verse the very beginning, it says, Now for this very reason also. What very reason? Well, it's the very reasons of the... We've been granted everything in Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. It's those magnificent and precious promises. Because of all that, and because we are sharing in the divine nature, for this very reason, supply something. Give something. Produce something. Provide something at our own expense. But this duty to supply or produce is further emphasized. And he does it in an amazing way here. He overemphasizes human responsibility. If you want one verse in all the Bible to give you the responsibility of a believer, this one's it. It's a good one. The only one that could maybe compare in my mind would be work out your salvation in fear and trembling. This is the next or maybe even more. He says supply. But notice what he says. He says applying all diligence. Applying all diligence. Now, I admit, that doesn't fit in our culture, does it? Applying all diligence is not something that comes natural for us as a people. As a whole, we are what? Lazy. I think we are a lazy people. But it says applying all diligence. Applying, this word means doing what is best, making every effort. Try as hard as possible. Okay, here we go. At this point, the hyper-grace people are basically saying what? You're making it about what I do. Don't do that. It's horrible. I have to actually do something? I have to make an effort? The Bible says it. Apply. Try hard as possible. With all diligence. Not a little bit of diligence, but all diligence. And this diligence is an eagerness, a willingness, a zeal, a passion, a commitment. Beloved, this phrase and command are about us emphatic on human responsibility in all of Scripture. It's so emphatic. We are to make every effort with all eagerness to produce something. And here we go. This means give effort. Give effort. Now, at this point, some of us might be thinking to ourselves, wait a second. <laughs> give effort. But what if I don't feel it? Have you ever said that to yourself? I don't, I don't, but, but I'm not feeling it right now. <laughs> You know, I, I roll out of bed. I'm not really feeling like reading my Bible right now. It would be a lot easier just flip on Facebook and look at that for a second. Or flip on the TV. Or even better, roll over in the bed and go back to sleep. 
Apply all diligence? No way. Because after all, I'm not work salvation guy. It's about grace. What is that? That's actually saying, may grace abound in my sin. That's wrong. Make every effort. Be all diligent. Now, I marvel. Have y'all marvel? I marvel. Yes, this week was a horrific week, wasn't it? Last Sunday night, Monday, it was miserable seeing the things on television. It's just like, wow, how people can be so evil. I kind of get just a little bit of hope when you see little things of people doing crazy, amazing, kind things in the midst of these tragedies. Kind of reminds me of this guy. Remember? This guy. Oh, my. Jonathan Smith. Y'all know what happened. He's credited with rescuing 30 people while bullets rained down on him. Going back in and rescuing people. And then later, he was rescued by a police officer that stuck his finger in his hole where the bullet went in. He got shot doing this just to keep the bleeding from killing him. What amazing effort that was made. Effort. That was effort. Or this guy. You know who this is? This is Desmond Doss. He's the guy in the Hacksaw Ridge movie. That's, I don't recommend it for young kids, but it's an amazing movie. And it's, but ultimately, it's about a true story about this guy that rescued 75 inter- infantrymen from Hacksaw Ridge. And he, didn't, he wouldn't carry a gun because of his convictions. But he rescued 75 men. He'd run back in and rescue another one and pull them over the edge while he was being, everybody was shooting at him. Or this lady, Elizabeth Elliot. Who her, her, her husband, her husband was killed by the Aka Indians, right? As they went to minister. And what did she do? She took her little daughter and walked back into the tribe that killed her husband and led him to Christ. That's effort. <laughs> That's crazy effort. Don't we marvel at these kind of things? I think this is the kind of effort that God's calling us to do when it comes to holiness in our life. To make this kind of radical commitment to pursue holiness in our lives. The good news is is that the gospel should motivate us to this kind of radical thinking. Verses 3 and 4, it should motivate us. The glory of Christ should motivate us to moral excellence, self-control, as we'll see. We supply these things because we know the glory of Christ. We're motivated to take action. So let's look at the actions that we're so supposed to supply. <clears throat> In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. 
This is what we're supposed to be motivated to produce. I've started working out at the gym. I don't know about you guys, but that is a task. Ooh, going to a gym is not fun for me. Why? Because it hurts. That's why. It's painful. It's real easy, by the way, to set that that speed of the speed of the, the treadmill down around 2.5 miles an hour and just kind of kind of feel good about yourself that you're moving. It's a whole other thing to bump it up to four and start to jog a little bit. You got to really be motivated to do that, right? I think we really have to be motivated to produce these things, supply these things. And I think the motivation is very clear. It's the gospel. Our understanding of Jesus motivates us to pursue these things. Our awareness of the true knowledge of God and of Christ. Look at these seven actions. There's moral excellence first. Haven't we seen this before? The same word? Yes, we have. Look at verse 3. Verse 3, it states, through the, true no- uh, through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. That's the same word. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. As we see the glory of Christ through the Scriptures, as we study the Bible, and we know Him and we know His glory, what did it cause us to do? It caused us to believe. That's how God changed us, right? But also we see how excellent He is morally and how beautiful He is and how holy He is. And and you read your Bibles and you say, Jesus is truly a morally righteous person. A beautiful person. And that, after we're saved by that, we now want to what? Do that. We want to supply that. We want to be morally excellent. We want to look like the one who what? Saved us. We want to be like Christ. We want to display Christ. We want to be morally excellent like the one who saved us is morally excellent. That's what he's saying here. So, supply moral excellence in our faith in Jesus. As we trust in Jesus, as we're looking to him, we produce moral excellence in our character. And then it grows as we produce moral excellence. We need something. We need to supply something. Now, this is very difficult because when you read it the first time, you might say, well, in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, wait a second, in your moral excellence, knowledge? Does that mean that I go and tell people about Jesus? Well, I don't think so in this verse. Now, I do believe the Bible constantly says that we should go and proclaim the knowledge of Christ, right? Amen? But I think the focus here is on my heart and what I should be supplying in my own life. And what I need to supply to myself in my own life is what? More knowledge. What kind of knowledge? This knowledge. The more I get more of Christ, I understand Christ more, and I seek to understand it and preach to my soul, for lack of a better term. Preach the gospel to my soul more and more. Then I what? I continue that cycle of going and sharing 
and having self-control, which is the next one. So as I know Christ more, as I understand Him more, I then what? Am self-controlled. How many of you, you, you get done with your Bible? Have you ever noticed this? This happens. I do my devotion, and I finish my devotion. I'm spending time with the Lord, and I walk out, and the kids do something just really wow crazy. Like, why did you hit your sister? Don't do that. But it, at other times when I'm not meditating on the Scripture and don't have that in my mind, and the one hits the sister, never happens, right, guys? We go, we lose our minds. We go crazy. We're not self-controlled either. We get upset because they what? Did something wrong. But if I'm meditating on the knowledge of God and who He is and I'm supplying this to my soul and something crazy happens in the world, I then what? I'm self-controlled. And I don't lose my mind. I'm like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) He's good. And you go into the gospel. Do you understand the difference? This is what we must do. We must pursue, supply moral excellence and more gospel to our souls and more self-control. That says no to sin, doesn't it? That says no, I don't need to watch that. No, I just need to turn this off. No, I don't need to have this conversation with the coworker that's degrading people. No, I need to walk away from that and not participate in sin. Self-control. Whose self-control is it? It's ours. That's human responsibility. Uh-oh, you're sounding too Arminian, Mike. No, I'm telling you. It's, our, it's human responsibility. The Bible says to do it. God's given us a heart. We're supposed to be self-controlled. Do you understand? And then we're supposed to persevere and have perseverance, bear up under and face difficulties, endure them. We endure with patience and fortitude and steadfastness. We're immovable. We're rock solid. Who's that like? God. Think about this. Divine nature is what? Being shared, the communicable attributes. Who is your rock? Jesus, right? He's our rock. He's our foundation. He's our stability, isn't He? Believers, right? Do you understand that you will then, as you know Him and as you're trusting Him, you will have that same stability. You will be rock solid also. The whole world can be crashing down around you. And you will be like, I got Christ. It's okay. My life is satisfied. I'm, I have grace and peace in Christ. I'm immovable. I endure. How many of you want that? I want that. Pursue Christ. Know Him more. And then do it. Don't wait until your heart catches up sometimes. You might have to start. Even when you don't feel it. And that's my prayer, by the way. And you need to get this. Everybody needs to get this. Don't wait to start studying your Bible. 
and pursuing holiness until you want to feel it. Okay? Don't wait on that feeling. Confess it to God. Do you understand what I mean by that? Confess. Say, God, I should want to do this. I should want to read my Bible, but I don't. Don't want to. But God, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) You know why? Because you tell me to. And I'm going to ask that you please forgive me for my cold heart and my sinful heart that doesn't want to pick up my Bible. And then I'm going to pick up my Bible. And I'm going to do it. And all the way, and if I read the whole time and I get nothing out of it, very little out of it, and I'm still cold, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to continue to pray. God, here I am. I just read a chapter of your word and my heart's still cold. There's a problem, God. Help me. I don't see the glory and excellencies of you and I have a problem. Change my heart. Do you see this, beloved? This is what it's about. I hear this often. I hear this often for the, from the young people. I just want to do what makes me happy. Whoa, wait, wait. Okay, but what happens if your flesh is controlling? You might seek happiness in all the wrong places. I admit to you, beloved, sometimes it's easier to do the things of the world than it is to read my Bible and pursue holiness. I admit that. You know why? Because I'm still in this body of death I'm carrying around. But we must pursue and be rock solid and steadfast because the gospel is our life. Christ is our hope. And we literally pursue, it says, godliness. And again, this is the same thing that was talked about in verse 3. Right? He told them, you have all you need for life and godliness through a true knowledge of Him. And then, He tells them in verse 5, and at the end of verse, or rather at the end of verse 6, He says what? Do it. Do it. Be godly. Can anybody in the room be godly? Trick question. How many of you, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. How many of you in the room can be godly? Raise your hand. Okay, I see that hand. I see four of you, six of you. Man, we need more hands. Because, listen to me, he says in verse 3, I've been, I've given you, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness. How, is God lying? No, God's word is true. We can be godly. Is it perfection? No, I have to say it again because I know many of you in the room are, well, then I must not be saved because I didn't look very godly last week. Anybody? Well, maybe it was because you were not applying all diligence to supply godliness. Ooh, hold on, listen. You hear me closely, listen closely. I think all too often, here's what we say, when we're not having a godly day, we're not honoring Christ, we're not demonstrating moral excellence, you know what we do? We get down to the end of the day, and there's our prayer. God, why didn't you help me be more godly? 
And his response to you back is what? Why didn't you apply more diligence to supply godliness? Because that's what his word says to do. At the end of the day, what we end up doing is, if we really get it, I blew it here, you help there. Do you see the difference? When I blow it, I blow it. God didn't do it, I did it. When he did something good, he gets all the credit. If I do something godly, it's because of him. Because he's working in me. And this godliness, this piety, this devoutness is on display in our lives. And then brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, this idea of being able to know those that are in the body, the spiritual body, and being able to show kindness to them and love and affection to them. I've seen it on display in you, beloved, this past week. Many of you have done amazing acts of grace and kindness, and I'm just so very, very, very thankful for this church. I, 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 I can't tell you all the details, but I can tell you one. Up till Friday, my favorite birthday present ever, up till Friday, it changed on Saturday, just so you know. I got a different one. I can't tell you what it is, but up till Friday, my favorite birthday. In other words, I got a birthday present on, on Thursday that was my favorite birthday present. And then I got another one on Saturday that was better than the first. Praise God, right? But my favorite birthday present of all times is the, is the GoFundMe thing that y'all set up and sent a, a wheelchair to Johnny and friends. That's real. You know, praise God, right? Some little person that sitting in a back room somewhere in a foreign country that can't get out and move around is now going to have a wheelchair and be able to move a little bit. And you did it for my birthday. Thank you. What a great gift. This is brotherly kindness, beloved. This is love. What a good God, right? This is what it looks like when we serve one another and we share with one another and we show sacrificial commitment to one another. I'm so thankful for you. This is what our lives are all about, right? We're all about this sacrificial love, this love that is in action. That's why I called it actions, the actions. I think often, um, I, I, I know I use that word love a lot and I, I, I call many of you, I, I tell you I love you, and, and many of you, uh, and some of you, uh, I, I, one of you, I will leave anonymous, said to me the other day, I won't look at you just so that, he said, I've never had a man tell me I love you before. I was really uncomfortable with that the first time I met you, but now I get it. You know, love is not about not about an emotion. Love is about a commitment, a sacrificial commitment in action, biblical love. It says, I'm here to serve you. My life is not mine. I'm your slave. That's what Paul calls himself to the Corinthians. He says, I'm your slave. You know, that's, that's what I want to be for you. I want to be your slave. 
I want to do anything you want me to do inside Scripture. This is love in action, beloved. This is what it's all about. Because we know the gospel. We know the glory of Christ who did that for us. And then there's a reason given. Reason for producing these actions and supplying these actions. For if these actions, qualities, are yours and are increasing, notice it doesn't, you don't just do a few and then you give up in a couple years. They're increasing. You're getting better at supplying moral excellence and godliness and love and brotherly kindness. If these are yours and then are increasing, they render you, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we are useful people. We're no longer useless. Before Christ, we are what? Useless. It's like our Sunday school lesson this morning, talking about Philemon. Did you know Philemon, or or not Philemon, but Onesimus? Onesimus' name means useful. His name means useful. So before... He was a useless man, but now he's useful in Christ. And all of us in Christ, because of the true knowledge of God, we are now useful for the Master. We can produce fruit. We can show off love, joy, peace, patience, kindness to the world. We can show brotherly kindness. We can be godly. We can persevere neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. See, it doesn't fit, does it? It is. We are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It's always fruitful. Genuine faith is always fruitful. Christ-like characteristics are a requirement for believers for us to be useful. We must pursue these actions to be fruitful in the true knowledge of Him. Also because the one who lacks deeds, it says, and you know what he's doing here in verse 9, <coughs> is he's already given his first smack on the false teachers that he's going to deal with in two. For he who lacks these qualities, love, brotherly kindness, self-control, perseverance, The one that lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgot his purification from his former sins. Beloved, here it is in a nutshell. Here's the sermon. You ready? If If your life does not reflect Christ, if your life does not reflect Christ, then you're really blind and short-sighted. And you need Christ. You need to repent and believe in Him. Now, again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not trying to overwhelm you. I'm telling you. But if your life does not reflect these qualities, you should feel what? You should be a little bit afraid. You should be concerned. And your concern should cause you to do what? Don't do this. Don't clean yourself up because it's not going to work. What you need to do is repent. That is, turn to God 
and acknowledge you're a sinner and that your only hope is Him and believe that God sent His Son to die for you and that there's hope in Him and Him alone. Grab a hold of Him and then what? Supply moral excellence. (laughs) Godliness. Love. Otherwise, we're spiritually blind. And I I love how this little phrase ends. Those that are blind and short-sighted have forgotten his purification from his former sins. This is one of the mark in your Bible. Think on this for a second. If you are walking in sin, it's because you've forgotten what you've been purified from. You've forgotten that God has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness in Christ. Our hope is in Christ and what He's done for us. And if we don't pursue moral excellence, knowledge of God, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, we have forgotten our salvation in Christ. So again, where's our hope? Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is back with Him. Run to Him, beloved. Run to Him. I don't mean physically run. I mean spiritually go to Him and say, God, I need you. You're my only hope. It is the glory, hear me, it is the glory and excellence of Christ that will motivate you to supply what God wants from you. As we bask in His glory, in the glory of the gospel, we will love like He loved. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Help us, Lord, now. Help us to put feet to what we know. Help us to love people, to love them unconditionally, sacrificially. Help us, Lord. Maybe there's somebody in this room that's struggling with a specific sin. This sin that is just constantly harassing them. This sin that they continue to fall into. God, I pray that your word will counsel their heart out of that sin. I pray that they will understand if they have repented and trusted in Christ that you have given them all they need for life and godliness. Help them to trust you and obey. Please, Father, give them grace. Please, Father, demonstrate your divine character of holiness and purity in their lives. Please help them, Father. Help them to kill this sin and to trust in you. Father, help me and help us all to continue to keep our eyes on you, to be quick to repent, and to trust you for all that we need to produce and show your glory off to this world. We love you. We commit our day to you. We pray that you help us now as we worship you. Bring us back safely tonight for an evening service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.